What's going on, guys? Michael here, Energy 360 Network. I'm excited to be bringing you this new interview with Garrick Falk Jones, who's a senior external advisor for SunTech South Africa. Basically, what he specializes in is rolling out and identifying opportunities within the energy markets for growth, specifically within the renewables game. And that's what we spend the majority of our time talking with him about. Me and Stuart Turley sit down and, and really dive into maybe some of the pain points with the renewables and, and why he is keenly aware of what those are and what he's doing to actually solve them. It's a fascinating conversation if you like renewables, if you like if you're interested in, in where that industry might be going. This is a fascinating interview. I'm just going to go ahead and turn it over to Stu to kick us off. Okay. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, we are here with Gareth Fouts Jones. Uh, he is an expert in the renewable uh, market with technology, and we have just been chatting with him. We also have Michael Tanner, our host from Oil and Gas 360. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you guys today? Very well, thank you, uh, Stuart. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. And and Michael, you're doing good. Doing good. Ready to ready to go. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. You bet. And, and Gareth, uh, your background is really f uh, fascinating from the standpoint that if you don't mind going over a little bit about your background and a bit uh, about what you're doing now, you have uh, six articles and I found you on LinkedIn with some of your articles and your articles are the role of blockchain, renewable push toward parity, the rise of AI and renewables and climate change. And mm. the way that our uh, clients were seeing is that capital and finance is not going to be available unless banks or energy companies include renewables. So we're kind of excited to hear your view on some of that. So, Well, look, uh, Stuart, uh, once again, thank you very much for um, the opportunity. Uh, look, I'm, I'm a bit so circumspect about commenting on it from a U.S. perspective because it's not the market I participate in. So I would be remiss to comment on that. But definitely from an, from an EU, uh, a European Union perspective, that is very much the case now. Very, very much the case. Um, essentially, um, you know, I'll, I mean, in terms of raising capital, uh, uh, by way of example from the European Central Bank, um, or any, any basically sort of uh, EU-backed uh, institutions of higher lending, um, they will take into consideration uh, the, um, the track record of the corporate in question uh, wanting to raise finance with them. And by a say track record, it's not purely your financials and, the, and whether your balance sheet or profit and losses in the black. It's about whether you are a major uh, carbon emitter, producer, and basically where if you're engaged in a lot of un, uh, basically unsustainable industry, that will that if if you're not outright rejected, it will count very heavily against you. Hmm. And so, I think that basically, especially with um, you know the 
the COVID-19 crisis and uh, the European Union having to create what their version of a Marshall Plan, which they call the Green Deal. I think the, ti the, the, the title actually pretty much says it all. Um, so in terms of your question of sourcing finance, um, yes, that uh, both for um, procuring um, or developing projects, but basically it, it, a lot of it will be based on your, tra your track record of, of, of pollution and carbon emission. Um. That, that's uh, amazing because it seems like in the U.S. You, you nailed it exactly what's happening in the U.S. as well, too. So it's interesting to see that uh, the U.S. is following the EU. And as we take a look at uh, ESG and the, the consumers seem to be driving this as well, too. Uh, if mm. they don't see low carbon emissions in a story from that company, they're not interested in supporting that company yes. as well too and so are you seeing that trend as well in the eu unquestionably and i think that's where the that's where the whole uh, value of blockchain uh, is um, also becoming very pertinent because basically the expectation on consumers uh, of, of of a corporate level i mean now, now with the need to have green credentials in order to effectively raise finance, you need in turn to be procuring your energy from other uh, sustainable sources in order to get your green kudos. I think the big thing is, you know, Stuart brought up in, in the first part where ESG is, is, is where we're seeing a lot of the capitalism. But the, I think the other side of the coin and, and why I'm, I'm really fascinated to talk with you is, is technology, specifically energy tech, is the other space in which some of this finance yeah. is going to be built, specifically in the United States. And the way you've blended the two between, you know, like, like the article that I really enjoyed was the rise of artificial intelligence, renewable energy. And I was wondering if you could give, you know, kind of a thousand foot view of where the, in the, in the renewable energy space, what is the technology level and what does that look like in, in, in that? Okay. Okay. Well, look, I think, sorry, I'm just, I'm just processing the question mm. so that I can give you a clear, concise response. Look, if I had to give my, my um, longer term, my, yeah, I'd say my more medium to longer term view of, of where this will go and how it will integrate with uh, renewables. Well, look, the simple answer is the sky is the limit. That would mm -hmm. be the generic uh, response to that. Because frankly, um, none of us really know what some of the alterate, some of the versions uh, or interpretations will be. However, some of the ones which I say are with us now and will only become more sophisticated um, over, say, be the next decade <clears throat> is um, the likes of energy forecasting, um, you know, in, in, the, in the context that, you know, uh, 
speaking purely about renewable energy plants, you know, they generate vast quantities of data. And, you know, by actually being able to process that uh, data, um, you, you, can, you, can, you can basically compile a far better understanding of um, what's being generated, how it's being circulated within the grid network. Which is a which is actually a very sophisticated um, piece of uh, our infrastructure that that it can be quite difficult to control. I mean, our utilities actually don't have an easy job. Um, so I would say that you know that I can actually give you some solid examples of firms that I mm -hmm. think will give us, and I think that would actually make it easier for me to. Um, explain. If we're talking about energy forecasting, there's a Colorado-based a Colorado firm by the name of Excel. Uh, it's not like the Microsoft uh, program. It's just a capital XCL. I, you're, I'm actually coming to you from Denver. I pay Excel Energy every single month for uh, my electricity bill. They're charging me like 80 bucks this month. Thieves. Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, you know, you know, so, so for instance, I mean, I'd actually defer that to give you an, a bit of an example. Then you've got the likes of uh, Nenergix. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing their name mm -hmm. correctly. I apologize. But what they do by, by contrast is they focus on satellite data and basically, and basically how to integrate the satellite data enable to more accurately forecast weather patterns um, or I'm a little uncertain whether their tech also touches on uh, being able to accurately predict levels of solar irradiation. However, which of course is like the golden ch uh, chalice for the PV industry. I mean, because that's what your, all your investments uh, uh, is built on. Then, of course, <coughs> you know, so that's that stuff to do more with um, like energy forecasting. Uh, to, if if I'm having to look at at things which will be trendsetters uh, as well, it would be in the field of energy accessibility. Mm -hmm. um, one company I've been researching. <clears throat> and uh, I'm sure you'll probably have heard of it too, is uh, Power Scout. Uh, and Power Scout, in fact, is already partnered with both uh, the U.S. Department of Energy and Google. Uh, so, the contrast is that they actually... Um, uh, will be integrated with your system, uh, your corporate uh, system, your building and whatnot, and then they can actually uh, make suggestions on how to uh, improve your uh, carbon footprint, uh, basically how to, uh, what, what forms of renewables you should impose or, or uh, you know, uh, utilize and um, make active, active uh, suggestions on how to improve your power consumption. 
so they've apparently been getting very good kudos, and I see that type of tech going from mm -hmm. strength to strength. Um, another, another firm, uh, I'm not quite sure where they're based, though, is Verve, which is um, also AI-powered, but that's for, far more for like a home assistant, which basically allows you to actively choose the source of energy. Oh, actually, I recall where Verve is uh, located. They're an Estonian firm, excuse me. Uh, it was, I had a temporary mental blank on that. Um, and they are, no, it's not Estonia, it's Finland, Finland. And they've actually got a bit of um, a joint venture going with, uh, with an independent power producer where basically people are able to uh, choose the type of electricity they want. Uh, whether it's say the solar, wind, or whatnot, and basically use a dynamic system uh, of of uh, of dynamic pricing to basically choose what is best for their energy consumption at any given time. Uh, you know, look. So, you know, it it's just. Uh, it seems like then, there's a lot. Are you, well, you know, this is it. I mean, I'm only, I'm only touching on a fraction. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I'm, I also, I also speak to uh, operation and maintenance centric uh, firms uh, in the renewable space. And um, I mean, you've got some excellent ones in the US as well in that field. Um, and uh, I mean, they use AI tech uh, in terms of monitoring the wear and tear on their systems. So basically they will know well beforehand whether an inverter is about to break so that they can actually minimize the downtime on their plant. Uh, and, you know, therefore it improves uh, uh, efficiency, it improves productivity, and it obviously in improves overall profitability. So, I think these are just some of the medium to longer term trends, but these already exist. They're only going to become more sophisticated over the next decade. I think, and you know, really what, what I said, there's so much to unpack there in what you said. And I think the, the one of the interesting things, and I'd love to get your take on this, is it seems like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is, is the investment is, is, is when you talk about renewables, there's, okay, where's the renewable energy source, whether it's wind, solar you know where's where you know for where is that coming from is there going to be clouds is there going to be wind there's the actual wind farm itself how efficient it is and then there's this the consumer side with how efficient are you in consuming energy whether you just let the water run all day or you just have lights on your whole house and it seems like after hearing your your answer that the investment is either focused on figuring out the most efficient way to capture it in terms of these weather mo weather modelings and then figuring out how to more efficient you know efficiently consume all of these different types of energy consumption. what is being done on the actual renewable source maybe to make them a little more efficient on that because i know the biggest thing with you know in mm -hmm. the united states we deal with is the transportation issue of we, we, we have plenty of of sun that hits arizona but we need all of the power up say in new york and the transportation of that is there any you know um, um is there any technologies does it implement that side of it or is it mostly just on the where is it how can we find it more efficiently or how can we use it more efficiently it's a very good question because 
you've actually you've uh, you've actually sort of found what I personally regard. And of course, there will be other people in the industry that will shout me down. But I, I believe this to be the case. This is still the Achilles heel of the renewable energies um, industry. I, I maintain that it definitely is the future. It's definitely the way to go. But the question you posed is to do with the infrastructure. And the fact and the fact is that, you know, when you when you look at the cost of 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 setting up these solar plants and and whatnot, they're actually becoming increasingly cost uh, cost effective because of the scale of economics. And the panels and everything are becoming increasingly more efficient and it really is going from strength to strength however uh, everyone conveniently forgets to mention that there that there are vast sums of money that somebody needs to invest into uh, the infrastructure to carry all of this because uh, you know, uh, very, very often um, an, a, a national, well, I mean, at virtually every national grid <coughs> has been designed for, for ver a very different purpose or to carry a very different type of baseload electricity, usually from a coal or, or whatever uh, source. But, so basically, in terms of you know the long distance uh, for uh, the long distance transportation of electricity, um, I think that is still a weakness. Um, it, of course, it can be done, but it's that's basically where you need you need state support to either heavily subsidise the cost of that. Mm -hmm. Or you've got to have someone that has an insane amount of money and maybe doesn't want such a good return. Thank you. Uh, that brings up a great question on the, uh, you, uh, Gareth, you just said that outstandingly. And when you take a look at the power grid and you take a look at how it was designed for the other systems, bringing in storage is a really big deal as well, too. Yeah. How do you see the cost of storage? Because you can't just ha rely on the the things and that's got to be fixed as part of this big solution as well too how is that being fixed in in the eu look it is it is coming you know what it's a very good question and hello hello we're here we're oh, here good heavens so Sorry, gentlemen, I, I lost you for a second. Don't worry. Just, again, post-production is very our friend. Question. So just go ahead and start okay. over whenever. Okay. Uh, Stuart, <coughs> it's a very good question. Um, ironically, in, in succession, you've actually raised my two biggest concerns uh, around... around, uh, around um, the grid parity uh, issue of renewables. 
is um, obviously I've, I've already addressed the one about the grid, so I won't touch on that. In terms of storage, um, obviously, obviously it is, you know, as, as the demand constantly grows, the, the per unit cost is gradually reducing. However, it, it basically, if it, it's basically, if, if you were to factor that into the, uh, the actual cost of production of the utility, uh, the renewable utility itself, it would um, probably really whack the IRR of it. Um, so in terms of how that has been addressed in the EU, um, I can imagine that uh, it, it will probably have to, in some form or another, be subsidized. Um, if, if you're going to make, I mean, if, if they're going to make uh, the uh, Europe um, the first carbon neutral continent, as the president of the EU think um, uh, for the storage issue, uh, there will probably have to be some form of subsidy or some form of regulation that, that, that will need to be imposed uh, in order to control the costs or to bring them down dramatically. Because as it stands, for what, for what is envisaged, it is, it is not yet practical in my, in my respectful opinion. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, sir. No, I just was agreeing. I just think that's awesome. Thank you. Um, you know, kind of, you know, so the next thing I want to shift to, and I think that's, that's really in, interesting on, on, on the sort of this, the storage side. And I think it's, it, it's mm. a problem that eventually will get solved. Um, no problem at all, especially when you talk about that's only where the investment is coming in energy technology. Mm -hmm. On specifically in the U.S., though, on this, you know, considering we are an oil and gas news site, one of the biggest ways that we see oil and gas companies, specifically in the U.S., investing is in carbon capture technology or systems that capture carbon to, to, to sort of allude to what you said, to get carbon neutral. Is that something that is being pushed very heavily in the EU in terms of so that, you know, these oil and gas companies maybe can continue to operate? Because if, if, if that's, you know, that's something that I think we're seeing in the U.S. that's being pushed hard, and I'm not sure what the international take is on it. Look, I, I in, terms, in terms of the EU, uh, practices in the EU with, um, with the with the big uh, with the big oil with the big oil boys over here, um, let me let me answer your question this way: they are they are putting money into um, uh, carbon uh, carbon capturing uh, industry. And investments. I know uh, that BP, by way of example, has allocated, uh, I think, about five billion U.S. dollars uh, to um, one of its uh, funds, or uh, to a venture to do that. I, I believe uh, Shell is probably doing something of a similar nature. Um, <clears throat> the actual, the actual uh, nature 
of what they're investing into particularly i'm i'm not i'm not privy to but i i'd say i'd say yes there, there's probably a slight there's probably a slight difference in strategy but it's really uh, you know one's a tomato one's a tomato it kind of has the same it has the same uh, uh, impact at the end of the day. Um, you know, they call businesses oil as it's quite logical for it to be. I mean, they're, they're petroleum corporates after all. You know, they're having to get they're having to up their score on the on on the greens, and so they pump a bit of money into it, and you know. If I was in their position, I would frankly do the same. You know, Gareth, we've talked about you being a worldwide background with South America or South no, Africa, uh, yes. South Africa, and uh, in uh, experience with uh, multinational uh, background and uh, everything else. When you take a look at Spain that you're now living mm -hmm. in, how is Spain compared to the U EU? Uh, with renewables, are they ahead? You know, everybody's talking about Germany and how far they're ahead. How is Spain? Let me let me say this. In terms in terms of <coughs> technological development or R and D within the renew within renewables, my respectful opinion, not wanting to hurt anyone's uh, national sensitivities um, Germany within an, within an EU context is still very much the the um, the master of, of, of renewable R&D their tech is expensive but like most of their products it's expensive because it's good um, what I what I will say for for Spain is it may not have the, the, the level of R&D that the Germans have, because frankly, that, that's not a fair, a fair comparison. But if, if in terms of a growth market, Spain is absolutely huge, um, absolutely huge. Uh, I think, um, you know, from my perspective, I'm, I'm getting a lot of inquiries from a lot of um, Asian sources that are looking to come into Spain very aggressively uh, because, um, you know, the Spanish government is basically, uh, has basically put a hold, is talking about putting a hold on all uh, new um, uh, pollu pollutant for sources of energy production uh, so that, that basically then everything else that comes online has to be renewable. So it, it will absolutely, I think over the next five to 10 years, the Spanish market will absolutely explode. The Italian market, I think, will grow tremendously. And I think I actually um, have a gut feel that um, Central Europe, namely the Czech Republic, um, you know, Hungary, a lot of those countries are actually going to be surprisingly strong, 
strong performers too in the in in the sector. That's that's my my feel. Oh man, that is just cool. Uh, on on all of this, your insight has been very very cool from a worldwide perspective. And, you know, sometimes I feel that Americans are kind of one-sided as far as viewing goes is, you know, the worldwide uh, view from a money standpoint, just bringing it right back. And this will be our last question for you. Uh, and in sure. this, so we'll get uh, a couple things uh, around the horn last question for everybody, but want to know your kind of idea on money investment. We had talked about China investing a lot of money into lots of different countries around the world. Do you think money is coming in from any other countries other than China or is China really the big money motivator behind some of these large projects? Um, would, that, would that be uh, to within the European Union? Uh, uh, yes, or, sorry. Well, well look, China is is a serious player. I mean, um, there you know there are some there are some serious players in the market. Absolutely, you're quite right in that. Um, I I have a feel. I I see a trend of a lot of Korean money starting to flow in. Um, you know. Uh, <clears throat> But I would say that the vast, uh, the vast preponderance of the money is going to be from within the EU itself. Um, because something, it is about money, but one thing which has to be understood uh, is that this is as much about policy within the EU as it is about money because the, the, uh, the Germans and the French, who are basically the two, the two countries that would ultimately call the shots economically within the EU, are taking this as a, an opportunity to push for further integration of the various EU countries. And so they're basically uh, investing so far, 1.85 trillion euros, so that's about $2 trillion worth more to come, in, you know, into basically the various EU states. And it's all, it's all with a push to basically, um, I would say it's, it's with a push to, they call it integration, and I would say if they could basically achieve their ultimate desire, it would be to create a United States of Europe eventually. That's, wow. a, that, that's a long shot, to be quite frank, but they're going to try and get as close to it as possible. Wow, that's very insightful. And, uh, you know, as we go through this, your time has been so valuable and uh, we just really appreciate you, um, Michael and, and Gareth. Thank you very much. Any last thoughts as we close out this interview? Uh, Michael, from you? No, I just, I think this is, this is really interesting. Um, 
you know, I, I think your, your take and, and, and what's going on in the EU, I think, sort of lends a very good timeline for what could happen in the U.S. I think you guys mm-hmm. definitely, when you look at the difference, you guys are much more far ahead in these realms. Um, but I think as, as, as we continue to move on, the, the blueprint that we're seeing play out in Europe, I think, is the same one that we could see play in the U.S. So it's just, it's just fascinating to hear all this stuff. And, and I appreciate um, both your candor and, and your time today. No, no, it's my profound pleasure, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. We are going to publish this out and uh, put it out, and we will have your LinkedIn content, uh, contact information in the show notes. So, again, thank you for your time. We just really appreciate you. Thank my you very much. My profound pleasure. Thank you. High-level stuff there from Gareth Falk Jones. Again, we really appreciate him joining the show. Guys, please subscribe. Energy 360 Podcast by Intercom. iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcast, please subscribe. We really appreciate you guys checking it out. We have so many more interviews coming along the way. Also, subscribe 360 Digital Closing Bell. It's a live show we do on YouTube every single day and also available iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, guys, we'll see you then.